Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today will be Simon Gibbs. He's the former sports editor of The Hustler, which is the Vanderbilt student newspaper. We'll talk about Vanderbilt's regional win over Georgia Tech in the Nashville Regional, which sent the Commodores on to the Super Regional against East Carolina. The news today is presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in any type of accident, please call Taylor or Russell at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Vanderbilt's schedule for the baseball Super Regional with East Carolina has been announced. The Commodores will play ECU on 11 o'clock a.m. on both Friday and Saturday. If there's a game three, that game would be 2 p.m. on Sunday. All times they are central. Simon appears on our guest line. That's presented by our friends Scott and Missy Tannen at Bowling Branch. I've used Bowling Branch sheets for many, many years, about probably seven to be exact. And since I started using their sheets, I haven't slept on any others. They are just phenomenal. They are 100% organic, rain-fed cotton. Why that makes a difference, I don't know, but I can just tell you, you can feel it, and you can especially feel it when you go and sleep on other sheets. Try them today. You can go to bowlandbranch.com, that is spelled B-O-L-L, enter Vandy, that gets you $50 off your first set of sheets. There's a 30-day money-back guarantee, but you're not going to need it. You're going to love them the way I do. You'll thank me for it later. Support those who help the podcast. Go to bowlandbranch.com today and order your first set of sheets. Simon Gibbs joins me on the podcast. He's a good friend. He has just finished his degree at Vanderbilt. He was the sports editor for The Hustler, which is the student paper. Simon, I'm sorry to see you leave Nashville and move on to other things, but sure enjoyed the time I spent with you over four years. We spent a lot of time on the podcast here and there. We spent a lot of time talking in press boxes and and on the phone uh, in between, and uh, congratulations on your graduation. You are a unique and talented guy, and I know I join a lot of folks at our site and our podcast in wishing you the best in everything that you're about to do. Thanks so much, Chris. It means a lot. I definitely will miss the Vanderbilt beat, and I will miss Nashville, but I sure hope that at some point in the future, you know, I get the opportunity to come back, do some more work for Vandy in and around the programs that I, you know, first fell in love with this business with. Um, so hopefully this isn't the end. Um, but in the meantime, you know, I, I, I get plenty of time to watch still my, my, my Commodores on the baseball field or whether it be basketball or football, which I'm sure I will tune into. Um, but, you know, for now, I did get the opportunity to watch this past weekend. And I will say, pleasantly surprised, and maybe I shouldn't be pleasantly surprised, Maybe I shouldn't be surprised at all. After all, they, you know, are a top five team in the country by ranking at least. But the SEC tournament went so poorly. The offense was so poor. And I was so unimpressed with this team that I wasn't, I'm going to be honest, I was seriously not sold on them even getting through the Nashville Regional. 
Now, of course, they sweep the Nashville Regional, and if they did so in perhaps the weirdest fashion I've seen. They blow out Presbyterian. They barely squeak away from Georgia Tech. And, Chris, that last game was, I mean, I felt like I was going to have an aneurysm. It was going back and forth so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was. I think a lot of the fans were busy or were very concerned about it, too. Look, I've been on an island on the beat many times before. That's not a first. I feel like I kind of am on an island with this team, too. It's not that I don't see the flaws. I guess I have just seen so much college baseball and seen so much of other teams that, yes, I see the flaws and the reason to be concerned, but also put them on the scale with everybody else's. I still think they're in good shape. Now, look, baseball is baseball. They could lose 2-3 or to ECU, although I don't expect it. Would it be the most shocking thing ever? No. I mean, maybe the season ends a few days from now and and everybody wags a finger and and says you were too optimistic. But I, I feel like I'm the guy that has had more hope and optimism for them than anybody else. It just feels like everybody else is getting getting it through the lens of we see the flaws and, and we don't see this going as many places maybe as I do. Right, but you know, what I've come to learn about this team or what I thought I had learned about this team was that and they're not perfect people. You can't expect them to be perfect people, but Kumar and Jack Leiter you, you simply cannot rely on them to be – look, you could rely on them to be aces. That's what they are. I'll say that before I go into what I'm about to say. But you cannot expect them to go seven or eight scoreless every single time they start. They'll have an imperfect game here or there, or maybe they'll have a great game. But thanks to a few unearned runs like errors or whatever it might be, you know, a few runs get tacked on the board. And through the duration of this season, I thought to myself, um, and really up until through the SEC tournament, if the other team manages to put up a few runs on the board, Vanderbilt might not be able to respond. Their offense just hadn't really hit its stride. And I only say that comparing it to 2019, which is perhaps unfair, but it is our last postseason experience um, covering Vanderbilt. You know, the last time this team was in the postseason, I mean, they kicked everyone's butts, and that's because that was the best offensive team I've ever seen at the college level. This wasn't. And what they did in that third game, the last one against Georgia Tech, was they proved if they need to win with their bats, they can. And that's the most important thing about the postseason, right? If their bullpen doesn't have a great game, if Kumar or Leiter have an imperfect game, and lastly, but perhaps most importantly, if it comes down to a rubber match, where that day three starter goes out and struggles, whether it be Riley or someone else, the bats can pick up the slack. Yeah, I guess that's the thing I was thinking, like, as you're explaining, like, your your issue is really with the offense, which that has been yeah. erratic. And, and it's interesting because, and you sort of it admitted it in your response. Yeah. And then, and then they'll just put a blank up the next three days. It's so bizarre. Well, I, I don't know that it is. I've seen it before. And, and, Look, the 2019 team, throwing that bunch in the comparison, I mean, that's one of the best it's offenses unfair. in the history of college baseball in the B.B. Carrera. <laughs> it is. You're it right. is. I mean, you're, you're you're looking at Austin Martin and J.J. Bleday were probably two of the ten best hitters I've ever seen in the SEC, and I go yeah. back to 04. Or, or if they're not, they're really close. And so there's that, and I thought the rest of the lineup was mouse. These guys don't have star power. Like, if you said – 
who's the best hitter in the lineup? I'm pretty sure I would say Keegan, but there's been times where Keegan really struggled. Now, I think Dominic has really found his groove. And the thing that I've noticed in particular is the way he is timing off-speed pitches. That's been a struggle. But, like, you see guys foul balls off, or you know, and, like, the bat is consistent where it needs to be in the zone, it seems to me, with where the ball is pitched. Sometimes you see guys get way ahead and way behind. And Dominic, to me, and I'm not the guy to make the explanation, but to me it just looks like he handles off-speed stuff a lot better than he did a month or two ago. In fact, he's clobbering a lot of it. Thomas is really in a groove. Bradfield really is never slumped for very long. He had that, I guess he had the two-week stretch or so around the start of conference play where teams figured out they could just pitch him away. And he really struggled to put some bad swings together. But obviously Mike Baxter did some good work with him because really Enrique is hitting everything everywhere right now uh, pretty consistently. Now, he may not be four for four every night, but he has good at bats. And I just look at them now, and granted, they did some of that against the soft underbelly of the Georgia Tech pitching staff uh, and against Presbyterian as well. But we've also seen it in SEC play too, right? They did it against some good teams. I just think offenses tend to wane at times. I really felt like they've got a talented lineup, and we started to see it come around a little bit. Granted, again, let's let's say – you know, they didn't hit it against the best of pitching, but they also could have not done that too. Yeah, and, and let me take a step back and say that comparison was an unfair one to make, but the reason why I make it is not just because, you know, that recency bias, right, you know, they were the last postseason we watched, but I say that in part because, you know, you say, and a lot of people say that they may not be as worried by the offense as I was and maybe no longer am, but you look at that team, right? And that team was, you know, they had pitchers like Racker and they had some lights out arms. Hickman was great. Tyler Brown was, well, he was pretty good at times. Um, no, that was his great year. 2020 was his, right? Uh, yeah, not, uh, 19, he was dominant for all about two appearances. And yeah, 2020 was the year that he he struggled a little bit yeah, more, but then the season ended. Yeah, so. But so what I say is, what defined that team and what defined that team's largely success in the postseason. Now, of course, Kumar's no-hitter being a huge exception, but that team was largely defined by offense. And we saw that team make its way through the playoffs and, and, and have some form of dominance in the postseason because of offense. And was I confident that this team was capable of, of doing that, of dominating the postseason? No. Have they done that so far with the exception of the SEC tournament? Yes. And I think a lot of that has to do with their bats coming to life. Another one that now this is a little, maybe this was just neglect or on my behalf. I don't think I had noticed just how poorly Jason Gonzalez had been slumping prior to that home run, but boy, yeah. had he been slumping. Yeah. And to hit that at that time in that game going into the Super Regionals is humongous. Because if they could get even a little bit of his power back, if he could go, if he could go out and hit for the duration of the season, even 275, 280 in that in that nine hole, that's not what he had been hitting so far this season. That would be really all you can ask for. And and, and we know he's got the power to take it deep so long as he's making contact. Yeah, Gonzalez really started to swing the bat better against Tech. And, you know, 
I don't know what his role is going forward because we don't know where they are with Tate Colwick. Hopefully we will find out in the media session tomorrow. But that was really good for him, and I was really happy for him personally. He's had you know, a rough career where he's lost a job a couple times, lost a year completely. And so to see him get his moment, uh, that, that was really nice, kind of reminiscent of Julian and Infante a year ago. Yeah, I agree. Um, that, but if they can get that sort of postseason, you know, coming to life that that Infante had his senior year, that would be something else. I, I, I'm not sure if we could come to expect that at this point. But, Chris, I wanted to ask you something, something that I, frankly, I don't, I don't know if I agree with it. And there were a bunch of things this weekend that I don't know if I agree with. But at the same time, I don't have two national championship rings, so those decisions should absolutely never be left to me. <laughs> However, putting in Vaz in the outfield in replacement for Lenive was weird to me, and even weirder when they load the bases, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Bases loaded for Troy Lenny. Oh, it's Vaz. Th- I mean, that w- that could have been a disaster had they not found a way to score some runs. But I was not a fan of that replacement, nor was I a fan of some of the pitching decisions that they made that game, You know, particularly leaving in guys longer than they should have. I think Riley was in for longer than he should have. I think Murphy was in for longer than he should have. But let's start with the defensive replacement, Leneve and Vaz. I mean, can you walk me through that decision? Can you defend that decision, or am I being ridiculous here? Oh, you're talking about when when they started Vaz and left that night. You're not talking about a pinch hitting thing, right? I, I, I'm pretty sure you're talking about the uh, the first game against Tech, if I remember correctly. Well, I'll grab no, my the scorebook. second game against Tech. Second game against Tech. Leneve got the start. And Vaz finished the game. Oh, okay. Um, and he had that one bases loaded at bat. You know, left has been a little bit of an adventure all year for them. You saw it even yeah. a little bit with Cooper Davis when he wasn't doing well. You've seen it with Bulger. I just have not watched them out there and felt great about what they put out. Now, look... Um, I mean, Leneve is the best hitter. Here's what, by the way, sorry, don't mean to interrupt. No, go ahead, because I want to hear your thoughts, too. I just pulled up the play-by-play. So, here we are in the ninth inning. Vaz goes into the outfield for Leneve. Okay, we go into extra innings. Nothing happens in the 10th. The 11th. Single, walk, walk. Bases loaded. Bases loaded, no outs, actually. And Vaz is up to plate. Now, that should have been Leneve, Vanderbilt's hottest hitter. Vaz struck out looking. Struck out looking with the bases loaded and no outs. And you know what? They had Thomas come in the very next batter and hit that tremendous grand slam. But why was Vaz in there to begin with? Or anyone in baseball, for that matter, to hit a grand slam every time they're up with the bases loaded. But you have perhaps your hottest hitter, if not one of your biggest breakthrough players down the stretch of the season in Leneve being subbed out for Vaz, who has what? Less than two hands of at-bats? I, I, don't, I don't know how many at-bats he's had exactly, but it, it's not many. It's got to be, I would guess, like going into that game less than 10, but it might have been more like less than 20. 
what I, I don't understand that decision. I, I understand it's a defensive thing. It just you're going into extra innings. You need to score a run. This season of the podcast made possible by our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones, DDS. Jody, a former Commodore football player and a Vanderbilt football booster. Jody is the best dentist in Nashville for cosmetic or general dentistry needs. You can visit him at 55 Music Square East. He's got something unlike any dentist office you've ever seen. It really is a spy-like atmosphere. They take pride in making you comfortable and doing great work. Jody is a dentist to just all kinds of stars, movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches. He is the go-to guy for all those people. Go see yourself. Go to Jody Jones Dentistry, 55 Music Square East. Tell him thank you for his support of the Vandy Sports Podcast. I did not give it that much thought at the time. I guess your focus is on pitching, and and that game had so many twists and turns. I'll I'll give you credit. You have given this more thought than I did. Did they bring him in? Was it in the 11th or the 10th? They brought him in in the 9th. Okay. the reason why I paid attention to it is because I have become a huge Troy Lanive fan, and I hope that that he – well – Half of me hopes he continues his pace of play, but the other half of me knows that if he does this all postseason, he could end up being drafted this year. But I digress. They put him into the ninth inning, and in the 11th inning, when the bases are loaded and I see Vaz walk up to the plate, I immediately sigh, and I'm like, oh my goodness, this could have been one of our hottest hitters. And instead, it's Vaz. And nothing against Vaz. He just does not have experience, especially getting in a clutch situation with the bases loaded in the 11th inning of a playoff game. And he struck out looking. I mean, again, Thomas delivered, so it didn't matter. But maybe I overthought it. As soon as he stepped up to the plate with the bases loaded and no outs, I was like, oh, why is this not Lenine? Okay, I think I got part of your answer here. They were, let's see, no, they were the road team. So did did Vaz lead off the ninth, or was that Lenine? Um no, that was Lenine. Vaz only had one at bat. Okay, here's here's the ninth, okay? Um, Lenine leads off, grounds out, Thomas flies out, and Nolan flies out. So, if you go to the 10th, Young is going to lead off, and that spot is not going to come up for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven more hitters. My yeah. guess was he's thinking we can win it between now and then. That's with their bullpen. I, I'll bet you that was part of the thinking. You know what? That's not really something I had considered, and that's a very fair point. That's a very fair point. Yeah, and that, maybe that's why I didn't think about it at the time. Uh, and, and, of course, they went through a little little slump there where they, they went 1-2-3 in the ninth, and then they went 1-2-3 in the 10th, although that also included Enrique Bradfield Jr. hitting into a double play. So they did get a runner, yeah. but – yeah, I I think as I've I've said this all year, I felt like where they were vulnerable is on the left side, and and that's when Gonzalez has played third. Nolan I think has done pretty well there. Uh, the arm isn't great; it doesn't look great when he throws it, but it works for him, and that's really all that matters. They've got a lot of confidence in him, and I can kind of see where it comes from. So left, I have seen misjudged balls and a lot of stuff this year, and. I just think they were thinking, you know, I know the left is kind of a throwaway position, right? It's it's low on the defensive spectrum, maybe the lowest spot on the field. But let's also say this, okay? Left at Vanderbilt is also different than left 
most That's other fields. You've got you've got the high wall. You've got that little area out there where the wall is curving, so the the ball could hit. You know, I, it gets really tricky to play when it goes back towards the cutout because a lot mm-hmm. of stuff can happen, right? The, the ball right. could nick the curved part and bounce towards center. Um, you know, it, it could hit the flatter part and bounce more towards home. It could hit the the shorter part or go over the shorter part. Um, you know, there's there's all kinds of things. So you've got angles to play, and I just think that in a normal ballpark maybe you make some decisions that are different than you make at Hawkins Field just because maybe if you haven't played there before. And and as they said, because I asked him about it, I want to say this was the Saturday Tech game. I said, you haven't played him out there all year, have you? And he quickly corrected me and said, well, he's trained out there. Uh, To which I went to Josh Foster, the media relations guy, who was very helpful. Uh, I just said, hey, look, am I imagining or has Vaz not played left at all this year? And he looked it up and said, yeah, you're right. He hasn't played in the game. But I have a feeling that if Vaz was, I guess, um, I guess they figured he was their most qualified option under the circumstances. Again, you know, what what the chances a ball is going to get out? out probably, you probably see, what, two outs and left the game maybe? I don't know, maybe three. So odds are a ball's probably not going to be hit out there that inning. Um, let me see what actually happened. Tech in the ninth did fly to left. First batter, that was Justin Henry Malloy. And I don't think left got another chance between the ninth and the tenth. Didn't get in in the eighth. Uh, Nothing went out there in the seventh or the sixth. No chances for that. Actually, you know what? Um, Somebody made an error out there in the fifth. I guess that was Leneve. So maybe that's part of your answer, too. That that could be part of my answer. Yeah, I'd forgotten that. I, I mean, there are reasons for it. I guess, I guess I was, I probably overreacted to that decision. But when he struck out looking with the bases loaded, it was pretty infuriating to watch. But at the same time, Vaz, you know, Vaz has played at the junior college level. He does have plenty of college experience, maybe not at Vanderbilt, but elsewhere. Um, I just, I wasn't. I wasn't expecting that move to be made, but uh, like you pointed out, could have been the same way Corbin wasn't expecting maybe Vaz to get an app at because he didn't think it would go that that long. Um, but what about the? What do you think about the the pitching deci- the pitching decision, particularly keeping Murphy in on the longer end, um, keeping in, uh, you know, I, I I mean, it took so many pitchers to get those last outs, and I mean, they got them, and that's what matters but it took so many pitchers to get those last outs. It was almost concerning. You know, it's funny. I had this conversation running with Willie Donick. We were sitting next to each other in the press box, and I talked about this some on the podcast yesterday. Willie and I were having the whole, do they bring Murphy in for, what was it, the the seventh or the eighth debate? And I said, well, I don't know. McIlvain's throwing really well. I know that Murphy is a shutdown guy, right? And I get that when he comes in, if he's on, you're probably not hitting him. But sometimes that goes the other way. And I like McIlvain. It felt like he had settled in a groove. And what I said to Willie at the time was, you just don't know how long this is going to go. Yeah, I mean, like, if, if you think you need to close it out, maybe you use Murphy for the eighth and the ninth. 
But what if this game goes 14 innings? Then you've already used McIlvain not knowing that. There's a lot of ways that game could have gone. But, I mean, ultimately, the first couple innings, it was really, really working out well. I mean, he was about as dominant with that fastball as any of their pitchers had been in any outing all year. But you could see the velo dropping. That was the issue is that I'm just like, okay, he's not used to throwing this many pitches. I would have never – I was really surprised they brought him out for the last inning. I just thought that was bad management. A, he was tiring. Uh, B, you don't want to put that much slowed on an arm. So I think that bringing him out for the 11th, in my mind, was not the right decision. I, I, you know, I think in hindsight, I agree. In hindsight, I definitely agree. But at the time, I didn't know if I hated it. If you had, if you had told me it would end up going the way it did, uh, obviously I would say take him out. But I just thought Murphy was, I don't know. I thought he was going to, I, I, Frankly, the way they struggled to get that final out, they kept rotating through pitchers. I was worried that the second Murphy left the game, it could end up just being like that from the rest of their bullpen. I thought that they may not be able to get through the remainder of that game. And luckily, he got their two-thirds of that last inning. Um, um, it ended up being, who was it? I think it was Maldonado that recorded the last out after yeah, Smith and did. Fisher both couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, it's tough because I want to say that I don't agree with it because, you know, he ended up getting the cramps and having to get pulled out of the game. But at the time, I really didn't mind it. At the time, I thought that that could be their best option at getting through the game and getting through the game in a quick manner. Or at the worst case scenario, you know, if this game does go into another inning or two, well, I guess that's not the worst case scenario. They could have won on a walk-off. But you know what I mean? If this game had gone another inning or two, they at the very least conserved some arms. I, I, you know, maybe didn't mind it as much as most people did. I'm trying to see if I can get pitch counts here for outings, and they don't have them up, I don't think, on the official site. But I think that he was probably getting close to a season high in, in pitches. Maybe the Ole Miss SEC tournament game, he had more. Yeah. But I, I just when you, can, when you can see the velo literally drop by three, four, five miles an hour, to me that's your warning sign. See, what I thought they should have done, my understanding – is it was a little erratic at who they had getting up and throwing in the bullpen and, and hey, you know, you're up, suddenly you're in the game and maybe guys weren't as warm. What I would have done is I would have said, okay, Hugh Fisher, that is going to be your game to start the 11th. You got the whole half inning to get ready. I think that you look at the way Smith and Fisher came into those games, I just didn't think they looked ready. And I've heard a few things that maybe back up that they weren't. So to me, that was a different situation than rather if you just if, if you tell one of those guys ahead of time, hey, you're going to have a whole half inning while we hit to prepare, and you're going into the game. Maybe that goes differently. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair point. I do. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what to expect from this pitching moving forward, though. And to pivot a little bit to you know. Super Regionals and potentially Omaha. I guess this is less of a pivot, more of a jump, because this is a completely different question. But who's going to start the potential third game? Here's the question I'm going to ask tomorrow. Is okay. what is What would the plan have been with Christian Little? 
because we didn't see I, little at all in the regional. I mean, I guess you right. could have thought he could have thrown the eleventh. Well, My thinking was that they were holding him back. Yeah, for for a yeah. potential, you don't but wanna, you yeah. don't want to throw him when it's risky. But I, I, I mean, I don't think they pitch him in the SEC tournament if the plan is not to potentially pitch him in the postseason, right? I would think so too. I, what a what a interesting move, and he ended up pitching well that one game he did. But of course, the injury. Yeah, Although, I, I don't think well does it justice. I thought he was dominant. Um, and you say injury? I, I mean, as far as we know, that well, that was just a cramp. I, I don't know right. that there was anything else there, but it was interesting. We didn't see him in the regional. I mean, that's one of those things you circle back on as a journalist and check on it. And, and maybe that's a thing that I would have asked him. Uh, you know, at one forty-five in the morning the other night, if it hadn't been one forty-five in the morning, uh, yeah. and I and I thought to do it, but anyway, I, that that's one that I'll try to ask when we get some media time with him on Wednesday. But yeah, I mean, I think that my guess is what they do because now you have a, a finite number of games. It's not well; it might be three or four or five, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Now, now they know. You're not going to play more than three games. My guess is they go rocker lighter in order, and you figure those guys between them can give you probably 13 innings, maybe more. Uh, I think yeah. you can cover the rest with McIlvain, Maldonado, and Murphy pretty easily. And yeah. then if you go to a game three, I I bet he's going to start Riley, um, but but I bet you have little out there pretty quickly if that doesn't go well. Yeah. I, I think you're right. What else caught your eye about the weekend? Let me think. So we've got the interesting coaching decisions. We've got the bullpen. Hmm. We touched on Gonzo. You know, one one other guy I thought we might see was Berkwich, but we did not. Yeah. M- maybe this is not the right question to ask but I mean is it is there any reason that in any of the three games last weekend well it ended up being two of the three but moving forward should Bolger be hitting second is that is that the right decision right now um the way he's been hitting I mean he's had ups and downs and I get it he's young I, I, I don't I don't know if that's I mean this is this is Time to put in, you know, your your eldest bats and most experienced players, no? Okay, let's rewind. Uh, he hits two in Sunday's game, sack fly to right for the he first one. In, some, in Friday's game, too. Yeah, and, and he goes, okay, fly ball to center in the third, strikeout, strikeout, uh, fly ball to eight that he scorched, fly to center, and, and then, of course, he had the single off the pitcher's leg. I, I don't know. I think right now... The guys that I have a ton of confidence in are in, in no particular order. Bradfield, Keegan, and Thomas. I actually have a lot of confidence in Rodriguez, too. It doesn't always um, show on the stat sheet, but I just think his at-bats are so competitive. Yeah. Um, I, I might be tempted to put Rodriguez in the two-hole, which I don't think they've done all year, although having him hit a little later. catch that high. Yeah, but, I mean, they've done it. I, I want to say they did it last year, hit him two or three. I mean, Len- I don't know. Let's see, they went Bradfield, Bolger, Keegan, Rodriguez, Leneve, Thomas, Nolan, Young, and Gonzalez 
in the last game against Tech. To me, um, I think Thomas at six is is a little low. Um, I, I think I might be tempted to swap Thomas and Bolger. Thomas is just further yeah. along, which you would expect. He's two years. I think Bolger. Look, I think Bolger's a fantastic hitter. And yeah. if a couple years from now you told me uh, that that kid's catching and he's a potential top five round pick, uh, would not surprise me at all. And if he could learn to catch, yeah. you know, who knows? Maybe he's a first rounder because <laughs> uh, he yeah. was pretty highly touted out of high school. But I don't know. I I I look at this. I didn't really care for Thomas in the six hole. Young, you wouldn't normally hit eighth, but it's not a normal time for him. Um, you see guys that get hurt and they just struggle with timing. And I, I kind of give Carter a, a pass on the weekend. I know he didn't hit well, but he fielded yeah. well. And, and we saw it with Keegan too, right? When Keegan came back, he didn't hit much for two weeks as he tried to get his timing back. So I don't have a huge issue with it. But yeah, I think that I'm, I might be tempted to go... And see, this is why I'm surprised they don't have Rodriguez hitting two. Because you got Bradfield hitting one, and Rodriguez is best kid on the team at contact. Yeah. He's also a right-hander, so you go left-right. Yeah. I'm not going to pretend I can put together a better lineup. I just, when they trot him out at two this late in the season, and he goes, what, one for six is what I think he did on Sunday? Well, let's check. Yeah, one yeah. for six. Although he had an RBI. I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking things. Well, I mean, look, he's got a 372 on base. That's not bad. He's got a 422 slugging, which I'm actually surprised it's not higher. Uh, but, I mean, I'm actually surprised Rodriguez is on base is under 400 because I don't – I think he's better than that. Um, yeah. I mean, you really – you want to – if nothing else mattered, you probably bat an order of on-base percentage, which the weird thing is Gonzalez is the is their number three on-base guy, uh, which yeah. I would not have expected. Thomas is actually – 399. He's just a little bit off, but he also slugs 651. So to me, I, I to me I go Bradfield, Rodriguez, Keegan, Thomas. Um, then I probably go Lenive, Young, Nolan Gonzalez, something like that. Yeah, I, I probably yeah, would even move Gonzalez up a, a spot. Um, but none of those guys are bad hitters, right? Yeah. I don't know what I would. I really don't know what I would construct moving forward. I think you had the closest, probably, to what it should be. Question is what it will be. Um, against an ECU team that probably will be able to hit the ball. <laughs> like, I mean. Yeah, I, they're going to have to put up a lot of runs, so you'd hope that they – these are maybe – these are things that I always overthink <laughs> at the end of the season for baseball. Perhaps I shouldn't, but th this is what goes through my mind during postseason play. Well, if you can't overthink, you're not really a baseball fan. So <laughs> That's true. So I'm, I'm going to give you a pass on that. I mean, the other question to me is – what do they do with Carter Young? Because the narrative was going to be he was just going to hit left-handed. Oh, that was hilarious. And then they put in the lefty pitcher, and he just pops over to the right side. But he hit – I believe he hit against lefties left-handed earlier in the weekend. So it was a kind of a last-minute switch, if I'm remembering I, that correctly. Know, you're probably right. 
he probably he probably if I had to guess, I would guess that he was capable of hitting righty. And he, either he was capable of hitting righty and the coaches didn't want him to rush it, or the coaches wanted him to hit righty, but he just is a natural lefty and would prefer to hit lefty. I think it's probably the former is more likely than the latter, right? He was probably like, I could do this, I could do this, I could do this. And they were like, don't rush it. And then eventually they cave or slash he makes more progress. But if he could hit from both sides at truly 100% in the postseason, that is a game changer. Yeah, and I, I do wonder if the pop will come back. I mean, look, with, with Colwick, and, and that's another one, uh, God knows where that's headed. Um, you know, just you felt for that kid when he hurt his hand again. But, I mean, Colwick has not hit a home run since he came back. No, he's hit the ball hard at times. Uh, but that was what I expected. When you have a handmade injury like that, it just really makes it hard for you to hit the ball with power that year. And I think next year Colwick uh, could come back and, and be their shortstop. Well, Young will be their shortstop. He's got another year. But, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if Colwick comes back next year and hits 15 bombs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. I do you think? Do you? If you had to, back to Carter. Do you? Do you think the pop comes back or no? Like, because I'm confident that it will. But perhaps I'm just being hopeful here. Do you think it's realistic for an injury like that to come back a few weeks after the fact and be able to hit it 100? percent Is that at all realistic? I, I, it doesn't seem like it to me. Um, now, now, he had contact issues a lot of the weekend. I want to say he hit – well, he did hit a double pretty hard. So there was that. Uh, he did that yeah, in his he, last I mean, at bat. Yeah, he went one for six on Saturday. Yeah. he went, Or sorry, on Sunday. He went 0 for three on Saturday. And he went one – geez, he had two hits in um, 12 at-bats this weekend. Yeah, he just didn't look good at the plate. But again, I don't hold that against he's him. That, that, well, yeah. yeah, he's fresh off an injury. Between whatever you're trying to manage there and just getting your timing back. I mean, that's a terrible spot to – and I'm not blaming him, but they should put him at shortstop if they can play. But that's an awful spot to have to come back in where you're trying to get used to playing ball again. And, oh, by the way, uh, you lose a couple of games and your season's over. Yeah, yeah. Let's go into the mailbag if you're ready. Okay. Our mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of all your insurance needs. Call him today at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshmintonhq or facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about him. In his pot in his business at the Vandy Sports Podcast. Okay, um, I think we've hit a lot of this, but I will see if there's anything that comes out in the question that we didn't address. What was going on Sunday night with the pitching decisions? Just some odd circumstances, especially in the eleventh. Why was Murphy allowed to come back to pitch the eleventh when he's clearly suffering from cramps? Why wasn't someone warmed up and ready to come in based on the issues he was having? Why did Smith seemingly rush during warm-ups when coming in for Murphy since he could have had all the time he needed if Maldonado hadn't retired the batter he faced? Uh, 
since Tim Corman made it known in the postgame press that Maldonado was only going to be allowed to face one batter. It just seemed like the coaching staff was very unprepared for a situation that it should have been easy for which to prepare. We talked about this. I talked yeah. about this a little yesterday. I think the question is dead on. I don't often uh, get on this coaching staff for its decisions. There's some things that I might disagree with, but there's also sometimes decisions have ramifications for the culture of your program. Or, you know, for example, I'll, I'll give you one. Sometimes there's a situation where a kid is starting and there's a backup behind him who looks better. But I think the culture that Tim Corbin runs in that program is especially if it's a fourth or fifth year senior who stuck around, it sends a message to kids that if you stick around and stick with it, you're going to get an opportunity. And so I understand those kind of decisions. Uh, sometimes they might make lineup decisions that you're just thinking, I wouldn't have done that, but that's what they are trying to do. Now, this one I just can't really defend because I think Papa Hick 4VU is dead on. I just did not think those kids look ready when they came in the game. I think for Ethan Smith, I would have made sure he throws warm-up pitches for a good four or five minutes. I thought that they should have bought Murphy some water or something was obviously cramping. I just thought they managed that very poorly. Uh, but but I don't know if you've got anything to add there that I have not addressed. I just think it was bizarre no one was warming up. That's what I'll yeah. point out. Uh, was there, no, was there nobody in the pen after Maldonado? That one I don't know. Because but I can't see, when, well, you know, we can't see it from the press when box. Murphy came out, when Murphy came out, there was no one prepared to come in for him, right? Yeah, now I understand they'd had guys throwing earlier. But, you know, I, I think they well, sat down for a while, and, you know, if you hadn't thrown in a few minutes, you're not going to be ready to come into the game. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I... I I don't know. We, we right. We don't. I mean, I wasn't sitting in the press box, but we don't typically know when, you know, there is someone warming up and when there isn't someone warming up. I, for one, thought it was weird that they. We think they weren't prepared. Maybe they have a plan or had a plan that either went south or we just don't have an didn't understand. I did think it was particularly strange that people weren't warming up. Now I'll say this: they're not the first staff to get caught like that I mean I think you hear a lot of, of times you know hey you get up you sit down and, and coaches you're going to throw they'll, they'll tell you and then they change their mind and make a, a quick decision on the spur of the moment they're not the only staff that's ever done that before right of course let's see next one is from Beck's 4VU will the new transfer rules help or hurt Vanderbilt in football men's basketball and baseball by the way the SEC clarified, I think, this week, I didn't read the whole press release, that they're going to remove the restrictions on interconference transfer eligibility. Yeah. So that may factor in the question here, but what are your thoughts on that? Um, my thoughts are, first and foremost, it can hurt it can hurt basketball as much as it can help it. It's gonna hurt basketball because of something I've said on this podcast before, and that's the one problem with one-time transfers or the biggest problem for one-time transfers is that blue blood or sorry, smaller programs are going to recruit or identify, recruit, develop talent, and then lose that talent to the big programs. I genuinely believe that's going to be the number one issue. Um, and I think it could plague some of the smaller programs in college basketball. Now, at the same time, you've got guys that are going to come from inevitably from mid-major programs 
and want to go to a power five school. And perhaps none has a better sales pitch than Vanderbilt. And part of that is for the wrong reasons. What I mean is you could tell the kid, you know what? What other power five program in the country can you walk into and potentially be a starter? Because that's going to happen here, at least with the state of this team from last year. And what a, have we talked basketball on the podcast with you recently? Not recently. Okay. What a, what a bizarre off season it's been for them. I mean, I, frankly, I think it's been a great off season. I, I, I honestly don't even know what you're referring to, but the, before, before getting these, these transfers and these incoming freshmen and the, of course, next year, the class with, um, uh, Dort and Shelby. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I, I guess just, when I said I off season, you're, you're thinking of, yeah, all this, I, I'm thinking in terms of the roster composition for next year. Oh, so yeah. yeah. It's yeah. going to be very different. It's going to be a big turnover. But what I used to say on our hustler podcast is not that I think Stackhouse is a bad recruiter. I used to say and say it and be very firm on this is that Stackhouse has not shown me he's a good recruiter because at the time he hadn't, there was absolutely nothing he could put it in my face and brag about. And now there's plenty. So I, I sort of you know, think he's either shown immense growth as a recruiter and has become pretty skilled in it, or he really just needed some time to flourish. Uh, you know, it's hard to sell a kid on a school that you've been at for a year. Um, anyways, for basketball, I think it could both hurt and help. With the right coaching staff in place, I think it'll help because ultimately you're going to get kids that are either frustrated at their huge programs or or outperforming their tiny program, which, again, is a problem with the portal, but alas. And they're going to say, I want to go to the Power Five. I want a great education. I want to play immediately. That's what Vanderbilt can give you. So, well, let, let's rewind a little bit. Um, because I, I think Ed Conroy is going to going to help them, right? Um, sorry, we may have talked over each other there for a minute. I think there's yeah. been a little delay in the audio, uh, just for the benefit of you and our audience. Um, these are the kids Jerry's brought in. Okay, gets here, and granted, your your pickings in the late class are, are kind of slim. He brings in Jordan Wright, who's been a, a nice find. I, I don't think he's a difference maker, but he's is he a guy? You won't come off your bench, yeah. So that that's a good get at that point in the signing period. The Jankovic one, uh, th- that was just a, a swing and a miss, I think, at this point. Last that year, wasn't him, was it? Yeah, no, that was him. Oh, uh, it was him. It was now the Dassault and Pippen were the two that the previous staff had, had gotten signatures from, and to his credit, both of them stayed on. Although I don't but know also, that both of them, both of them became. I don't know if they became completely different players. It'd be potentially a lie to say that. Yeah. But they, they became way better ball players, and that's not something anyone could deny. Now, yeah, he did a good yeah. job developing both those kids, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, continue. Well, Odisipe was one that just, at the time— And he's gone. And, he, and yeah, he's gone. Everybody that I talked to private was like, what in the world are they doing? Uh, and I think that's how it panned out. Uh, Thomas was one that nobody liked. I, I think he showed more than we thought, although I, I think the size, I, I don't know that he can really defend. But, you know, not, not it's that was a nice late find, but that signing class shouldn't have been late finds. That should have been 
Okay, you've had a while to come in and establish and bring in a better class. Lawrence uh, wasn't doing much when he got hurt. Studi did some things, but just looks right now like a role player. We'll see how that goes. So really, you look at his evals so far on the kids that he has identified and signed. They haven't been good. Um, now, now, Dorsey and Daniels, uh, I think, are nice players. Uh, I'm not sure either of them wound up in the Rivals 150. Uh, I think Daniels dropped out. Dorsey did too. Um, you know, so so nice players, but not not what the rest of the league is getting right now. And then Dezoni, uh, the, the Arizona commit, who I don't tell me if I'm wrong. Have they announced that one formally yet? I don't think so. I think that's one of the ones that they haven't. Yeah, and, and that's a little curious at this point, uh, given uh, that he's been committed be, to them for what six weeks. About it, honestly, okay. I wouldn't be too worried about it, but at least not yet. Now something could change, of course, but at least not yet. But yes, but you can't walk into a program that went winless in the conference and and possibly sell a talented recruit on it. And if you can, there might be some funny business going on. So it took time, and. Time goes by, and I understand that Robbins might have been less on Stackhouse and more so on Conroy, but still huge addition. Um, Rodney Chapman is is a major defensive player who could play a pretty big role in this team, potentially filling the void that Max Evans leaves. You know, being able to sort of provide that defensive prowess and potentially a three and D. I don't really know his game as much as I much as I would hope. Um, Taron Frank, I mean, he, did, he barely played at TCU because of mostly COVID complications. I believe he got COVID, then came back and, you know, was sort of out of the lineup. But then the the Dort and the Shelby thing, that, that's program-defining. That's going to change the trajectory of this program. That's two huge recruits in one night, and that could – and I understand that's not this year, that's next year. But – and I also understand we've completely gone off the – path of the original question but i think it could help back to the original question i should say I, I think stackhouse has shown that he can recruit because it's been getting better and better slowly but surely it's been getting better um and that's the direction you could ask for right now because he's making the most with what he have what he has which hasn't been much um and you know this the narrative could be very different when he does have the talent um for football I think it'll help football because similarly, if you want to play football in college, if your goal is to make it to the NFL, there's no better conference in the country to be in than the SEC. And there's no school where you could waltz onto the, and again, this is not necessarily a good thing that I can say this, but there's no other program where you could waltz right into some playing time than at Vandy. So yes, I think that could help Vandy in football. I don't think it could hurt Vandy because I don't think Vandy's ever really going to create players in football that are going to, you know, After Vandy. I mean, I understand Vandy wasn't the best team by any means the past couple seasons, but being in the SEC, I, if they're going to like Bama, LSU, Ohio State, I mean, that just seems like it's not going to happen. So I wouldn't be too worried about losing talent in football. And then in baseball, I don't think transfers really play that big a role in baseball. No, not, not for him now. He hasn't had – Yeah. oh, my good. I'm trying to think of the last transfer he had to play a role. Maybe Jack Lupo. Um, from Air Force, and that's been 10 years, I think. Yeah, exactly. 
So, yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm just out of curiosity, uh, I, I don't know what this means, but <laughs> the official site for 2021-22 lists four players on there, Rodney Chapman, Peyton Daniels, Gabe Dorsey, and Liam Rollins. Or Liam Robbins, excuse me. Um, so, anyway, that I, I presume they, you know, obviously Jordan Wright would be part of that and everything, but that's what they list, just to mm-hmm. circle back and check the box here. Let's see. I think I've got one more. What are some things, this from Ann Arbor, that give you optimism for the upcoming football and basketball seasons, and what concerns do you have? Um, football. This is an experienced offense. Now I can say it's experienced, right? The quarterbacks are no longer young. The receiving core is excellent, right? Bresnahan, I believe, has the talent to be an NFL tight end. I don't mean, you know, an all-pro NFL tight end, but I certainly think he could get drafted. He's that athletic, and he's that good a receiver, and he could also block. You've got Pierce, who's an excellent receiver. Got Abdurrahman. You've got talent on offense, real talent. And now imagine what that talent looks like with, you know, all things considered, the makeshift offensive line last year did not do nearly as poorly as I thought it would enter the season. I thought that there was no way they would ever protect the quarterback, if I'm being frank. But guys like Birchmeyer really played their their heart out and, and, and impressed. And Birchmeyer, of course, switching position. But now they get guys back from the uh, opt-outs, and you've got a strong offensive line. So when you have the quarterback and the receivers, I understand we there's some – some turnover at the running back position, but think about the passing game. It's nice to be able to implement a new offense with plenty of protection and lots of weapons at the receiving position. So I think the offense is going to be exciting. And I think really the offensive line is going to hold that all together. Now the secondary is, is boy, I mean, that's going to be really bad and losing, losing a guy like Kaufman, who I really honestly never would have guessed that he'd transfer completely understand why he did both because of Mason and because let's be honest, this, this is a kid who probably could have played at most programs in the country. I mean, he was that good in the time we saw the limited time we saw the secondary is going to be bad. And frankly, the defensive front isn't going to be much better because you're losing a lot of talent in mints. Um, you're losing a lot of talent. No dang bow. It, it, it's just not going to be the same. Now, do I think football is going to do particularly well next year? No, but it certainly helps to also have some non-conference tune-up games in there, which they didn't have this past year. Moving to basketball, it's hard to know what to expect from a team when it's this different. As you had keenly pointed out, right, there's so much turnover on this basketball team. And my answer largely hinges on whether or not Scottie Pippen returns. Now, if Scottie Pippen returns, I think they could finish in – potentially the upper half of the SEC for sure. Um, I don't think they'll make the tournament, but I've been wrong before. Without Scottie Pippen, I think this team finds itself probably with a few more wins than it did last year. And by a few, I mean a couple. I don't think they do much better. And that's, you know, that's something that, that I want to say you can't control, but I don't know if you can control it. It's just losing a talent. One to a transfer that no one saw coming, and one to a guy entering the draft who, in my opinion, has no business staying in the draft. I don't think Pippen should stay in the draft. If he gets a a draft guarantee, I'd be shocked, but I don't think he's ready for the NBA. Um, 
So I think a lot of my answer hinges on whether Pippen comes back or not. But it's worth noting that because this team is so different, right, because we've never seen these guys on the court at the same time, and many of these guys we've never seen on the court at all, we don't really know what the ceiling is. And I guess by that logic, we don't really know what the floor is. I do know, though, there's talent. And with Pippen, that talent could be upper half of the SEC, I think. But without Pippen, I really don't know what it looks like because all of your main scoring threats, for the most part, are going to be new guys. And I have no idea what they're capable of doing. So I think it'll be particularly interesting in the next couple months to monitor Pippen's status. Other than that, it's really hard to tell with basketball right now. I think they've got uh, till July the 1st. to. I think that's when the transfer portal closes, right? Uh, I think that's correct. Yeah, but I don't think you think Pippen's going into the portal. Well, I don't, I don't so. know. Um, the people that I talked to, and, and I think it's—I'll put it this way: I, I think it was such a dead issue that the people I've talked to haven't bothered to to check back on it, or, or at least that's the way they felt. Right. The last I heard was that Desue and Pippen had a conversation. Look, I'm not privy to that, but apparently one of the the last pieces DeSue needed before he made the decision to hit the portal or not was what's Scottie Pippen going to do? And and from what I was told, uh, the answer that he got about him coming back here was not encouraging. No, look, that's been a couple of months, okay? So stuff can change. You know, a kid can go home. Maybe he could say, hey, maybe it wasn't. So bad there, and I had opportunity, I'm coming back, I'm not going to get drafted. That could go any number of ways, right? I'm just saying that the people that I talked to that have given me some really solid stuff in the past felt at the time that it was just a dead issue, uh, that, that he wasn't going to be coming back. Uh, th- there were rumors about other schools. I won't get into all that. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I My guess is I don't think he's coming back, but it will be interesting, and I do think that – one thing that I'd heard was he was thinking about coming back if he didn't get drafted um, at all. And so that that begs the question, if that's what he meant at the time and he's not in the portal by that point, then maybe that points another direction. Or, or maybe he just says, screw it, I'm going to go play in the league anyway. You know, his family's not exactly poor. You can go and develop in the G League and not have to deal with classes and all kinds of stuff. And frankly, the fact that I think he left campus, which I know you can take classes on Zoom and everything, um, and do all that, was was a little bit telling rather than sticking around. But I, I don't know. That that to me will be interesting um, in terms of how that plays out. I've got some people checking around that a little bit now for me. But it, it earlier in the spring, it just was kind of put to me as a, it's kind of a dead issue. He's not coming back. What I'll say is that I don't have I don't have sources right now because I'm obviously off the beat. So I can't say I'm very keyed in. I don't at least from what I think, I really just don't think he's coming back. Or sorry, I don't think he's transferring. Um I think there's a chance he goes stays in the draft. I would be completely and utterly shocked if he transferred. Yeah. Well, there there were some rumors about a specific school. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. Um, earlier, <laughs> earlier in the spring, 
So I, I, I don't know. I, I just, you know, I'll try to get the answer and find out that I don't know that speculating anymore at this point um, yeah. re- really means anything. You know, I will drop a football tidbit before we leave. I, I talked to somebody. I don't want to get more specific than this because it would, would give somebody away, but uh, kind of an observation that was shared recently from a, I'll just say somebody in the football industry who's been familiar with seeing them this spring. Um, there was a thought that the linemen looked pretty good, like they had some pieces to work with there, and that just the discipline and the organization within the program uh, and the way that Clark has run it was pretty impressive. So I'm with you. I just don't see a lot of talent. Uh, maybe they can put up some points on offense. I think there are some pieces there. Uh, defense, as you said, is another story, but – that was just a tidbit that got passed on to me today that I thought might be worth the share. Interesting. Uh, and, you know, I've heard that the culture is completely changed. So I'm definitely yeah. intrigued yeah. to see, to see, you know, what that, what that culminates in this fall. The culture needed a change. I don't think that was all on Derek, but I think discipline no. had just kind of gone out the window. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, but it's also tough to really keep that discipline just really aren't going your way, you know? Yeah. Well, that, that went bad so quickly. And, and when, when you don't feel like the school's got your back, uh, I, I just think it becomes a little tougher to find motivation, especially when you're just getting your hat handed to you most weeks. Yeah, definitely. All right, Simon, I think we're done for the night. I want to give you the floor to uh, give out your Twitter handle, anything else, uh, any work that you might be doing. I I think that's kind of on hold for a bit. Uh, But anyway, I want to give you the floor to announce anything on a personal level that you might want to announce before we end the show. Yeah, um, you could follow me on Twitter at SimonGibbs26. Um, Make sure you also support the hustler, even though I'm no longer there and, and follow Justin Hershey, the incoming, or I guess now the current sports editor. Um, I am still looking for full-time work at the moment. I don't have a full-time job. I do have a contract job that starts next month. As of yesterday, I signed, um, to work with NBC sports as a digital editorial producer for the Tokyo Olympics. So I will be staying at home because the company is doing most of its work virtually due to the pandemic. Um, but if anyone's interested in some random Olympic sports, I'm sure I'll be tweeting a bit of ping pong and whatever else content I could find. We we do an Olympic ping pong podcast at three in the morning. How about that? Oh, or, or not, perfect. or not. <laughs> but in any case, well, this shouldn't be the last time we have on the sh- you on the show. Thanks for joining us, and and Simon, we'll uh, maybe if there's still some baseball being played, if if the Commodores advance to Omaha, let let's catch up and do this again. Yeah, definitely. All right, he's Simon Gibbs. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Vandy Sports Podcast.